Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Gambia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campus Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through to all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those questions, you tip to support the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to get those questions answered. So we gather them up, and we address them here on companion videos. Now, if you're wondering how you get a question in to be read on the show if you're not watching live or on one of these companion videos, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of all of our videos. Videos, or you can click on it or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on a show if, of course, we deem your question appropriate to be used on our show. And, of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys very much for your support. All right, guys, let's not waste any time and get right into it, shall we? We're going to start things off here today with Spidey2099, who writes, Hey, John, congrats on your PS5. Thank you very much. My buddy Ryan got me a PS5 a number of weeks ago. I've been really enjoying it. Anne and I have been playing a whole bunch of It Takes Two. Uh, before replaying Spider-Man, consider getting Miles Morales Ultimate Edition. It comes with remastered Spidey with all DLC and smooth frame rate with ray tracing. First game I got with my PS5 and totally worth it. Also, uh, PS Plus A. I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, listen, I've actually had a number of people telling me I should really get the Miles Morales game. Also because a bunch of people are telling me that's actually a little bit of an easier game than the first Spider-Man. And if you don't know this about me, I am a mouse and keyboard guy. I, I have a very hard time playing console games with the controllers. My brain's just not wired that way. So It Takes Two has been easing me into it. And uh, if Miles Morales can get me into it even easier, why not? All right, next up. We got Chapex Chump Change writes, I just learned that last year, Disney paid the Orlando Magic their cut of the annual pass partnership revenue based on pre-pandemic projections as an act of good faith. Scar Joe winning all that money over Chapek is now even sweeter. Bring back Big Papa Iger. Yeah, I mean that. I, listen, I said this at the time. I said Scar Johansson is going to win this thing because they're going to have to settle, and they're going to have to settle by writing her a big check. And beyond that, them having to write her a big check instead of just dealing with her fairly initially is going to have further repercussions, and that might be one of those repercussions that they had, man. All right, next up. Garden Variety Vagabond writes, Hey, John, I see in The Hollywood Reporter that some Cuban movie fans are suing Universal Studios for $5 million uh, for false advertising because Anna de Armas was in the trailers. But all scenes were cut from the final movie. Do you feel that this could be a turning point? And we talked about this on the John Campus show the other day. So for those of you who may not have seen it, there's a couple of movie fans that are suing them for like $5 million. It actually could be in excess of $50 million, whatever. Because in the movie yesterday that came out a couple of years ago with Lily James, really nice little movie, by the way. But in the trailers, Anna de Armas, a big major movie star, is in the trailers. But she's not in the movie. More to that point, even though the movie is now over on Amazon, you can rent it and whatever on Amazon, the trailers they still play for that movie are the ones with Anna de Armas in it, even though she's not in the movie. And this raises a really interesting question. Now, too many people, quite frankly, are focusing on the wrong thing. Too many people are focusing on the $5 million or $50 million, whatever. Stop looking at that. That's not the issue. The issue is, 
should studios be allowed to blatantly mislead their consumers about what is in their product? And there are a couple of movie fans who said the reason we got the movies because we love Anna de Armas and we saw in the trailer that she's in it and that's why we got the movie. She's not even in it. Now, I get it. They cut her scenes out of the movie because they thought it would make the be- the movie better because they didn't like what was happening in those scenes or whatever. But then take those scenes out of the trailer. Especially once it's that's done its theatrical run and it now moves over to streaming, you got to cut that out of the trailer because you are misleading and lying to the audience. Now, this is different from like Avengers Infinity War where we saw that scene of the Hulk running through the thing. I mean, at least in that, the Hulk is in the movie. He's not in it much, but the Hulk is in the movie, right? In this, they showed a worldwide movie star in their trailer And that movie star is not in the movie. And the issue isn't about how much the studio should be punished. That's not the issue. The issue is, should the studios be allowed to just get away with putting in blatant false advertising? Again, I'm not talking about, oh, some scene that was in the movie and then got edited out. I'm talking about a major movie star shown to be in the trailer. In essence, you are telling the audience, when you put them in the trailer, you are telling the audience, this movie star is in our movie. And if anybody makes a purchasing decision to rent or buy that movie or buy a ticket to that movie based on that promise, and they're not in it, that is false advertising. Like if I went and bought a box, I, let me gr- grab this. Let's say I went and bought, I wanted to get a... Uh, a Zoom H6 field audio recorder. This is one of my favorite devices, by the way. But let's say I went and I, I go into Best Buy and there's the box. It's got this thing on the on the cover of it. Yay. Then I bring the damn thing home and I open the box and this air conditioner remote control is in it. I'm going to be pissed. The box told me the Zoom H6 recorder was in that box. That's what That's what it told me. And it's not. And um, this, like a lot of people are just focusing on, oh, those guys don't deserve five. That's not the issue. The issue is, should there be legal requirement to make studios and distributors and, and whatever have some authenticity in their marketing? And I actually think these guys might have a case. Because you can dance around this whatever you want. They showed a major movie star and they portrayed it to the audience that she was going to be in the movie. And then she wasn't. And even then after the movie was out of theaters and it's up on Amazon, they just kept that trailer with that major movie star still in the trailer. There's no excuse for it at this point. Now you can get into a discussion about what should the punitive damages be? How much should the court punish the studios for engaging in a practice like that? That can be a separate discussion. But I really do think there's an issue here because if you don't, then a studio can do whatever they want. Who's your, who's your favorite? Like there's a bunch of teenage girls out there. They'll love BTS. Okay. BTS. All right. So the next murder mystery movie that's coming out by the studio, the studio in their trailer can cut in some shots of BTS going, Hmm, I wonder who the killer is. Right. But they're not in the movie at all. That might sound like hyperbole to you, but that's literally what we're saying. If the judge does not hold the studio accountable 
for blatant false advertising. We are literally telling studios, you can lie to us all you want in your trailers. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Your favorite movie star may be Leonardo DiCaprio, and you may have some rom-com coming out, and you can edit in shots of Leonardo DiCaprio to make it look like he's in the movie, but he doesn't have to be, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. You can do that. Doesn't matter. And again, I, I think we're being really short-sighted about it. So it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing works out and what the long-term repercussions are going to be. All right, next up. Uh, War Doctor 10 writes, Hey, John and crew. I started watching The Righteous Gemstones, and my God, uh, is this show fantastic. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Again, this is a show that nobody has talked about ever. And then all of a sudden, in the last month or so, I've been getting so many people writing in and talking to me. Like Aaron Cummings was talking about how she's loving the show. At some point, I'm probably going to have to get around to checking it out, War Doctor, because you're just the latest person to write in and recommend it. All right, Timothy writes, John, I'm going to make sure I don't cuss on my show from here on out. I never said that, so I'm going to try to cut back on my swearing. Uh, pour Zevia into a cup. Zevia, sponsor me, you cheap sons of bitches. Well, listen. Cheap sons of bitches is not swearing. You're allowed to say that on television. You're allowed to say son of a bitch on network television. So if that's the case, that's not an R-rated thing. I can still get away with that, Timothy. All right, Anonymous writes, I love Peacemaker. What Gun can do with actors really stands out. Vigilante and ju Judo Master are killing it. Gun might be even better suited for TV. I don't think so. Where he can do more character stuff. I really hope a gun universe can continue in DC, will it? Well, remember, nothing that's happening here is a gun universe. This is all the DC universe. It's not a gun universe. I, listen, Suicide Squad deserved so much better than it got that movie is wonderful that's a that's a great movie and it totally tanked at the box office and that's a shame because that movie deserved much better now even with it tanking warner brothers said hey no we're going to stay in the james gunn business as long as he's willing to work with us and peacemaker hopefully will give a little bit more life to that so i'm hoping james gunn continues to work with marvel and dc both i honestly really do and i loving peacemaker all right ethan holgate writes hey john i watched the harder they fall and although i didn't think it was as bad as you did i enjoyed the beginning of the movie but by the middle and third act i was like wait a minute i thought this was a revenge movie why does this feel so uncompelling oh it's a horror to me it's it's not the worst movie of the year that goes to uh, of 2021 that goes to uh oh what it was it's something in thunder the Melissa McCarthy, Octavia Spencer movie. Oh, my, I love both of them. But man, that movie was horrible. I can't even remember the name of the movie. That's how anyway, that was the worst movie of the year. But right up there with the worst movie of the year to me is The Heart of They Fall. Now, I agree with you. The opening of the film, like when Idris Elba shows up at that man's house with his family, that was a great scene. That was a great scene. There's another great scene where his gang break him out of his prison on the train. Great scene. Absolutely great scene. Everything else in that movie was absolute tripe. I And it's too bad because it was one, I was so excited for that movie. The trailers were so good. It's got one of the best casts. I mean, that cast from top to bottom is unbelievable. And I, oh, I just hated that damn movie, unfortunately. All right, Scott Brown writes, Saw Nightmare Alley. Uh, and it was very good. It was very good. I finally got around to seeing it. Uh, great storytelling with amazing performances. Everyone was so good. Guillermo never disappoints. Uh, the sets to the cinematography, to the music, to the wardrobe. I was instantly transported there. I really enjoyed it. The performances were great. Once again, Bradley Cooper 
showing again he's a legit star. Uh, getting to see uh, Rooney Mara. We don't see Rooney Mara nearly enough, to be honest with you. Seeing her back. And Guillermo, by the way, did you see us do the story the other day with uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio coming out? Our first look at Jiminy Cricket being voiced by um, Ewan McGregor. Uh, like, like, woo! But anyway, yeah, really solid film. All right, next up. Mike C. writes, have you seen the funeral clip from the Batman yet? I have. I haven't rewatched a movie clip more times. I am so hyped for this movie. I think it's going to be my favorite Batman film yet. Also, over under 50%, there's an R-rated director's cut uh, post-release. I don't think so. I, I don't think Matt Reeves was had any interest in doing an R-rated Batman film. Batman shouldn't be rated R. Batman has never been rated R. It never should be rated R. There's nothing about Batman that requires it to be rated R. And I think Matt Reeves feels the same way. So, no, I don't think there will be. And, yeah, that funeral scene, man, was awesome. All kinds of awesome. All right. Winter Naomi Vera writes, How could Rob list all the dark children's fantasy fairy tales and list Pan's Labyrinth and Kronos, but forget to list Academy Award-winning uh, reverse Little Mermaid film, The Shape of Water. Anyway, Pinocchio looks great. Looking forward to his take. Yeah, let me nitpick on you for a second, Winter Naomi. I hate it when viewers, and I don't hate you, Winter. I don't hate you. I'm just saying, I hate it when viewers, like when you list a couple of things and people go, how can you forget about, no one's forgot about anything. It's just, we didn't sit down to do an exhaustive list of everything we did. Little pet peeve of mine. It's just a little pet peeve of mine. But yes, no, it's true. Like really, when you think about it, like some stuff like Pinocchio, like Pinocchio is really dark. It's really dark and really twisted when you actually look at the story of it and see what happens in it. Like, it's it's kind of a dark and twisted thing. Is it not winter? I think it is. All right. Next up. Call me Ishmael writes. Hello, gang. It only took 48 years. And finally, my birthday wish comes true. Welcome back, Chris. <laughs> Chris Carr, we all missed you. 48 years. No, it's I'll tell you what. It has been great having Chris Carr back. I mean, it, it, it sucked when the pandemic hit and we couldn't do the show in person anymore. And we tried, we tried to bring her in remotely, but it just, there was just too many technical issues on her end and we just weren't able to make it work. And we lost, as far as a show goes, we lost Chris Carr, which totally sucked. And I always knew that someday, somehow we will bring her back when circumstances allowed. And um, circumstances lined up. You know, we we were suddenly left with an open spot that we needed to fill. I got a hold of Chris. I said, what is your circumstances like right now? How's your schedule like right now? Would this work for you now? And she said, yes, it would. And it was just really opportunistic. And we were able to bring her back in. And it has been awesome having her back. She hasn't missed a beat. It's been like two years since she's been on the show. Am I not right? She has not missed a beat. And it's been great to have her back. All right. Next up, uh, Carlos Sosa writes, Hey, John and crew, uh, this one is for Rob, who is obviously not here right now. No Way Home is No Way Home a Christmas movie, LOL. I can imagine John rolling his eyes here. Yeah, of course, because Rob and I always have the debate and argument about is Die Hard, and clearly Die Hard is emphatically not a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a movie that just so happens to take place at Christmas time, but there is nothing thematically about Die Hard that is anything Christmas related. Um, and therefore, no, Die Hard, that's why Bruce Willis says, no, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. But, you know, there's a lot of people who feel that it is, and that's perfectly fine. And if you go to Roku, Roku Realist's favorite Christmas movies, and Die Hard is put up there. Uh, but it's the same thing, because if Die Hard is a Christmas movie, 
then Spider-Man No Way Home is a Christmas movie because there's a scene in it that takes place in the wintertime. Makes sense to me. All right, next up. Uh, Richie uh, Vittendon writes, Vittendon writes, on Scream 5, the reference of Ryan wasn't a shot at him. It's because the movie is about toxic fandom. If you remember, Scream 5 was talking about this topic throughout the film. I'm a huge fan of Scream, and those films are part of why I want to make film. Look, look you're right that there is a part of the film that is about toxic fandom, but they were also taking a shot at Ryan Johnson. I mean, make, make, make no mistake about it. Both are true. Those are two not, those are not two mutually exclusive concepts. They were both taking a shot at Ryan Johnson and they were making commentary about toxic fandom. Both are true. Uh, and, uh, and it is both of them. All right. Next up. Ann Perkins. I love Parks and Rec references. Ann Perkins writes one of two. I need Warner Brothers to hurry up and figure out a way many of us international markets can watch Peacemaker. I understand when it happens with theater releases, given the pandemic, but this is streaming. I wish they had sorted this out before it released. Uh, Gunn said about a month ago on Twitter that they're trying to sort it out, but nothing has happened yet. The show is doing well, but imagine how much more it would be hyped and discussed if people in the UK, for example, could watch it too. Look, I, I understand. And... I am very, very lucky and fortunate that I happen to live in North America. Living in North America means I get HBO Max and Disney Plus and, and whatever else the moment it becomes available. When Disney Plus launched, when HBO Max, I mean, there's still markets that they're not in. And that sucks. But believe that those companies desperately wish they could be worldwide right now. Like if Warner Brothers could just snap their fingers and Disney could just snap their fingers and instantly have be in every single market, they would, but it's not up to them. There are territorial rights, there are license agreements, there are a lot of things that get in the way and sometimes they just got to be patient. All I'm saying is that we got to understand that Warner Brothers wants to be where you are. Wherever you are in the world, that HBO Max is not available yet, Warner Brothers wants HBO Max available there. They want it, and they're working on it. It was the same thing with Disney when Disney Plus launched, right? Like, there were many territories that were not, that Disney Plus was not available in yet when The Mandalorian came out. And The Mandalorian came out, and there were a lot of our international film and story, Star Wars, Love and Brothers and Sisters around the world who were not able to watch Mandalorian. Now, while I understand this, and I try to get my fellow film and storytelling fans to understand this as well, that believe me, if Disney could be there, they'd be there right now. Same thing with Warner Brothers with HBO Max. While I understand that, there is still one thing I don't get. And I've talked about this on the show before, but it bears mentioning again. And that is this. Before Paramount Plus existed, they had CBS All Access. That was the name of their streaming platform. And it was on CBS All, Act All Access that they launched their show, their very good show, Star Trek Discovery. Rob hates it when I say that, but it's true. It's a very good show. But they launched Star Trek Discovery. Now, whether you love Star Trek Discovery or not is irrelevant. The thing is, there's a lot of Star Trek fans somewhere around the world that would like to have that. But CBS All Access was not available all around the world. So what did CBS All Access do? Well, instead of just saying... Sorry, international markets, we'll get to you as soon as we can. And they were going to try to get to them as soon as they could. What CBS All Access did was they made 
licensing agreements in those territories where CBS All Access did not have a presence yet. And they would say, like, for instance, go to Netflix. Say, hey, Netflix, uh, uh, let's just say Norway, for example. And I'm not sure this is exactly how it worked out in Norway, but I'm just using an example. They say, hey, Norway, Netflix in Norway. You, you have a presence in Norway. Netflix, you've been established in Norway for a long time. So we've got this show Discovery that is a CBS All Access exclusive. But CBS All Access is not in Norway, and you are. How would you like to make an agreement where we'll sign a contract where we will give you exhibition rights in Norway on Netflix in Norway for a certain period of time since we ourselves cannot show it there? And what CBS All Access did was maybe they couldn't have CBS All Access everywhere, but they made sure a lot of territories that couldn't see Star Trek Discovery could see it on other platforms that were already there. I do not understand why Disney, when they launched Mandalorian Season 1, were not willing to make such a deal, limited-term deals, so that their fans around the world could enjoy this new Star Wars show. I'm not completely sure why HBO Max, while not being in every territory, but have content that people around the world would like to see, why they're not making limited-term deals with exhibitors that are in those territories to see these programs. That part I don't get. So don't be mad at Warner Brothers or HBO Max for not being in your country yet. They want to be there. They're trying. But do question Warner Brothers why they're not licensing out Peacemaker with a limited term and a limited license to exhibitors that are in those countries so those fans can see what we're seeing here in North America. That part, I wish they would get on Ann Perkins. I, I really, really do. And hopefully, like, I'm loving Peacemaker, so fingers crossed you guys get to see it sooner rather than later. Thanks for writing in, Ann. Okay, next up, we got Alex S. Or sorry, Alex V. And Alex V writes, Forgive me if you've addressed this already. I can't catch every morning show, but have you been following Netflix's Witcher series? General audience mainly enjoy it. Many book fans despise it. I don't care what book fans think. Uh, have you watched this show? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes, I have watched all. I've watched Witcher season one. Loved, 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 love Witcher season one. And I've seen Witcher season two. I liked Witcher season two. I, I, I liked it pretty solidly. I liked it. I did not like it nearly as much as season one, but I solidly liked it. I, I mean, I didn't like going through most of the season without Yennefer and uh, Geralt together. I didn't like going through most of the season where Yennefer, one of my favorite, probably my favorite character on the show other than Geralt, doesn't even have her powers. And then it got a little, little screwball-y near the end. But overall, it was a very solid season. I liked it quite a bit, just not as much as season two. So that's where I'm at. I'm still a big fan of the show. I look forward to season three. I hope they learn from a few, I think, missed opportunities and mistakes. As far as what the book fans go, I don't care. I'm not watching a book. I'm watching a show and I evaluate a movie or a show based on its own merits and on its own merits. The Witcher season one is fantastic to me. Witcher season two is quite solid to me. Not as good as season one, but quite solid to me. And if the book fans don't feel the same way, more power to them. That has nothing to do with me. I'm not judging these shows based on the books. I judge movies and shows based on their own merits. It can fun. It can be fun to compare and, and contrast how 
a show compares to its predecessor or how a movie compares to its source material, or in this case, how The Witcher, the TV show, compares to The Witcher, the books. That can be fun, but I'm still, at the end of the day, going to evaluate and judge a show or movie based on its own merits, not on what was ever in the book, because you got to make adaptation. All right, next up. Jason in Prescott writes, Hello, John. My mom just passed away. I'm so sorry to hear that, Jason. I know you've been a viewer of the of the channel. I know your name's been around on the channel for a long time. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, my mom just passed away. I'd just like to say your show has eased my sadness enough to make me smile in these tough times. Thank you for everything you do. Dude, listen, I again, our our deepest condolences and sympathies on the last year on the loss of your mom, man. That's that's horrible. Um, and it is it is an honor and privilege. Not just for me, but for all the other viewers of the John Campus Show too, who make up the community here, participating in the live chat or in the chat boards or whatever, um, to be here and be that oasis for you in that time. I mean, the John Campus Show in no form of entertainment is going to make up for what you lost. But hopefully, you know, either our show, other shows, movies, and things like that can be an oasis for you to smile again to imagine and to dream again. And, you know, like I always say this about movies, man, when I have a, a really, when I'm in a hard time, I get to go into a movie or go into a discussion with fellow movie fans and just allow my imagination to run and just enjoy that. And when I come out of it, my problems are still there. But now I face those problems and the, that adversity with a bit of a refreshed mind, maybe a little bit of a different perspective and maybe just a little more ready to try to cope and deal with it. And if movies and TV shows and stories and, and shows like ours and the community like ours that you're a part of can be that for you, that's an awesome thing. And again, our deepest condolences to you, Jason. All right, next up, Rams Ocha writes, Hey, John, they released a small scene from the Batman the other day. We were just talking about that, the funeral scene. It's the church scene where Bruce saves a child from a runaway car. The tension, atmosphere, and acting from Batman gave me chills. He says so much with no words and only his eyes. We talked about that at length the other day on the show. I was floored by it because you realize, I didn't even realize until somebody mentioned to me afterwards, say, you realize Pattinson didn't even say one line in that shot, in that entire scene. I'm like, oh my God, because it felt like he was communicating the whole scene. He emoted the emotion. He emoted what that character was feeling and going through and whatever. And, oh man, if that's a good, if that's a true sample of what we're going to get in the Batman, dude, I cannot wait. I'm literally drooling waiting for this movie to come. All right. Jay Bling writes. I hope the poster for the home video release of Spider-Man No Way Home features all three Spider-Men and all the villains along with Doctor Strange and other relevant characters. I don't see why. I mean, who cares what the home video poster is? That That's not going to change. I mean, that's the thing about me with movie posters. Like, I like a good movie poster, but they make no difference to the movie. The best movie poster in the world does not make a bad movie one iota better. A bad movie poster doesn't make a good movie one little bit less good. Um, so I really don't care what they put on the home video release poster. Not that I don't care. I just don't care. If they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. It's all okay, Jay Bling. All right. Uh, Danito writes, what would you guys think about Sony maybe adding a post credit scene showing Toby slash Andrew in their universe or a hint at future movie? Asking because of such scenes rumored to exist. Yeah, those rumors are bullshit. Uh, and it might be a great business move to boost the final stretch of No Way Home. Now, nah, it's not necessary. 
it's really not necessary. And really all I think I think the way it ended was perfect. I really do. I think the way it ended their stories in there was perfect. There's no need to show post credit scene of them back in their universes. What what's honestly what would be the point of that? What would that honestly accomplish? The answer is not much, and I don't believe they have future movies planned, despite what a lot of other people are saying. I mean, again, I love Rob's idea about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man showing up in Venom 3. That excites me a great deal, I, but I don't think it's going to happen. I hope he's right, though. My fingers will be crossed, but I don't think that's going to happen. So at the end of the day, Danito, I just don't see what would be the purpose of it. What's the point of having those point post credit scenes that wasn't already accomplished in the movie. And I think there was, would be no point to that. At least that's just my take on it. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, Mumra, of course, the ever-living, writes in, when it comes to longest superhero films, don't forget Reeves' Superman the Movie extended cut uh, is three hours and eight minutes long. Uh, this edition aired on TV, split into two nights in 1994, and came out on Blu-ray in 2017. Where does this rank amongst others, and do you count it? No. No, the movies that come out in theaters are the definitive versions of the movies, period. That's the way it is to me. That doesn't count. That's not what was in movies. That was not a theatrical release, so it doesn't count whatsoever. And I know I get in trouble for saying this because the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeve is kind of considered holy ground. And I get that. And I appreciate, I have a great sense of appreciation for that movie and what it did for the comic book genre. And what it was at the time. I mean, the tagline of that movie was, you'll believe a man can fly. And, and truly, it was like astonishing what that movie did in its time. But the original Superman movie does not hold up so well. I, and I know people get angry at me when I say that, but honestly, that is how I feel. And there are a lot of movies from that era that do stand up, I believe. But that Superman movie isn't one of them. So, I, I mean, for me, it wouldn't rank incredibly high. But no, it's a director's cut, extra three-hour, eight-minute. That doesn't count. Like, like, to me, it's theatrical release. That's the actual runtime of the movie. And again, that's just the way I look at it. Thanks for writing that in, Mamra. Okay, next up. Luke Kelly writes, Hey, John and crew. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. I am having a fantastic day. Thank you. It's confirmed that Batman will have a no-kill rule in the upcoming Batman. No, it's not. Uh, confirmed by the actor Robert Pattinson. How do you feel about this? No, it is not. That has been misinterpreted a lot. Robert Pattinson was talking about the comic book. Robert Pat Pattinson didn't say. I, I, listen, I may have misunderstood him. I'll, let me admit that right up front. I may have misunderstood him. When I was looking at his interview, it seemed pretty clear that he was talking about Batman in the comics. Batman has this rule of no killing, which makes you wonder, does he not kill because of this or does he not kill because he really wants to kill, but just has to hold himself back from doing it, which is very chilling. Like when you think about that, it's a pretty awesome way of looking at it. But he in no way said in this movie, my Batman has the rule of not killing. Now, I'm not saying his Batman won't have a rule of not killing. Once we see the Batman by Matt Reeves, he may very well have that rule in the movie. He might. But that interview from, from Robert Pattinson ain't it. That That's not the confirmation of that whatsoever, because I thought it was pretty clear he was talking about the comic book. So, But again, that doesn't mean anything about what might be in the movie. He very well may have that rule. I'm not saying he won't, but I don't. that comment from it, that ain't it. At least to me. All right. Garden Variety Vagabond, right? John, Pennyworth is on HBO. I just saw that. Pennyworth is now on HBO, first and second series. No more epics required. So I 
really surprisingly enjoyed Pennyworth. And I watched like the first four or something episodes that Amazon allowed you to watch for free on Amazon. But if you wanted to watch the full thing, you had to have epics. And I wasn't about to order another streaming service. Not for one show. So I never got around to completing it. And I really liked the episodes that I saw. And now it's all on HBO and at I am now it's I am purposed. I am burdened with glorious purpose to make sure I go and watch the rest uh, of Pennyworth. All right. Thanks for that garden variety. Next up, uh, Big Will writes, and this will be our final one of the day. Uh, hey, John and crew. I'm a huge fan of Chicago PD. I am too. I really like, I don't watch a ton of TV, but I do like that show. And I think it has the greatest opening scene to start a series I've ever seen. Uh, Jason Beggy, I've never known how to pronounce his last name, as Hank Voigt, great character. Uh, and the tone was so perfect. Do you guys have a favorite opening scene uh, to movie slash TV show, Bring on the Filthy? I, I, I'm, I'm Look, to be honest with you, that's not something I walk around with off the top of my head. So I'll tell you one of my all-time favorite openings is X-Men 2, uh, Nightcrawler attacking the White House. That, to me, at the time, was absolutely the best opening scene I've, I'd ever seen in a movie. TV shows, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I, I don't walk around that with the top of my head. And there probably are other movies that I like the opening just as much or even more. But since I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, I will go with that opening scene in X-Men 2, still one of the greatest comic book movies ever made uh, with Nightcrawler attacking the White House. Like at the time, you got to remember, we're going back a lot of years. When that movie came out, that opening scene, that, that was visual effects like we had never seen before. Like that was something truly original that we hadn't really been able to watch before. And uh, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty, pretty awesome. But yes, the opening to Chicago PD where Hank brings that guy out into the outskirts of town and he's going to bury him is... Great opening scene. I've kind of been hooked on the show ever since. All right, guys, listen. There are still more questions to come from uh, Twilight Boy, uh, Some Dude, Phil L., and others. Do not worry. We will pick up right where I left off when we get around to the John Campia Show tomorrow morning. And I hope you will join us tomorrow morning for the next episode of the John Campia Show. It'll be great to have you there. Of course, we're going to talk about the new episode of Boba Fett, which I'm going to start watching here in about four hours. So... Uh, very excited. Hopefully Boba Fett can really turn it around here. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for now. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live comments and questions, the tip questions and everything. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys very much for your support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.